following podcast is recorded and produced by the Podcast Precinct in affiliation with the network at BICBP-radio.com. The Podcast Precinct. Consistency. Creativity. Culture. Sci-Fi Update. I'm your host, Tony Harper, and in studio with me today, I have Kevin Nocera, one of my um, friends from work. Good morning. How are you, Tony? Doing all right. Uh, just a reminder, we don't talk about work on the podcast. Absolutely. So, so avoid all that. Uh, first thing I'm going to always do with my podcast, I go over the news first. Um, since I have a new guest every week, a lot of times i got to explain it to them, and hopefully I'm getting new listeners every week, and they also understand that I'm doing and explaining to them as well. So the first thing I got is there's a new space station sci-fi, sci-fi survival thriller that uh, came out of Austria called Rubicon. Um, and it's it, it looks a little interesting on this. Um, it's supposed to start in July this summer in U.S. theaters for anyone who wants to watch it. And it's basically following an environmental catastrophe on Earth in the near future where the planet is covered by a toxic fog. The crew living on the station must decide whether to risk their own lives to go home and search for survivors or stay safe on the station's algae symbiosis system. Uh, next one I got. Uh, the Midwitch Cuckoos on Sky. The review. This is that uh, what, what did I, why did I click on the review for this? Oh, there was a trailer that came out. Duh. It wasn't the review I was going to go over. It was the trailer. You can watch the trailer. And this was that um, older sci-fi couple that I was talking about that had like a portal in their shed or something like that. Okay. It seemed uh, very interesting when it's being done. Yeah. Yeah. So what they allude to it like through Sky. Uh, what's the next thing? Yeah. A new book release, City of Orange by David Yoon. It is basically about a man who cannot remember his own name, wakes up in an apocalyptic landscape, injured and alone. He has vague memories of his life before, but can't seem to see it clearly in the current and how he got to the current situation. It uh, released four days ago. Just so if you guys are interested in that. Uh, you can now go on virtual tours of some of the Star for Star Wars classic set locations through Yahoo Entertainment. So you basically on the Yahoo, it's kind of like a, I hate to mention a competitor for them, but a Google Maps. Thing, and you get to go through all the sci-fi sets and all that kind of stuff for Star Wars. I think that'll draw a big audience for that, especially for people who may not have the means to travel there. So this gives them the ability to enjoy it. Yeah, I think that's really cool. Same with the Star Wars, Jude Law is set to star in um, Skeleton Crew, which is a sci-fi or Star Wars um, thing that takes 
place after Return of Jedi. Um, they don't really have a whole lot on it other than when it was doing it's basically like a coming of age story set after Return of Jedi. Yeah, exactly. Oh, Stargate Rider um, is set to set up to do um, the show run of Generation Mars, a new sci-fi series adapted from Douglas D. Meredith's book series. Um, this sounded really interesting. Um, I'm not sure what Generation Mars is all about, but I really love the Stargate series. So he was a writer, he was a producer, and he even directed some of the Stargate stuff. So watch SG-1, all that kind of stuff with Richard Hanners. He's now going to be in charge of the entire production of this movie, Generation Mars. Hopefully I'll find out a little bit more for you guys next week. Uh, speaking about trailers, Disney has also released a sneak peek for Andor. Um, so there's that uh, teaser trailer you can view on YouTube if you like. Uh, and then I have a bunch of kids, my kids, uh, play stuff on there because that's why I uh, switched over from taking handwritten notes and going to my phone because it's easier to do stuff. Um, there was something else here in this Forbes magazine about this Disney and Lucasfilm. What was this here? Willow. That's what it is. Willow is coming June, or November 30th of 2022. So I was kind of excited about it. It's, it's more fantasy than sci-fi, but I enjoyed the uh, Willow series or movie. SD Gundam Battle Alliance is coming to Switch August 25th. So if you're really into the Gundam battles and that kind of stuff, that's the For you, what else do I got here? Um, the science fiction writers America booted award-winning author Mercedes Lackey, Lackey from a press conference for a racial slur. Um, she was talking about a, another author there and used the term cleared well praising his work. And, um, that the, the time frame and everything else on here is just not appropriate. And then I have a bunch of stuff for our topics for today, so I'm going to try to skip through real quick to go through our news. So our topic for today is sci-fi weapons. We're going over this. This all happened, we had been discussing this for months, even before I actually started recording this show, of we were going to do something with sci-fi and weapons, and I was going to have Kevin on because he's big into weapons. And, um, and enjoys his weapons and he has a lot of background in it. Uh, so there was a couple more news articles here let's see uh, there was something just announced for Disney oh so the uh, bounty hunter Boba Fett and mercenary Fennec Shard will now appear in Galaxy's Edge if you're going to the Disney um, theme park I've not been there but I'd love to get there someday uh, Meant to go this last year. Tickets were already sold out. I went to go buy tickets for was going around December, and they had restrictions for how many people were allowed in the park because of COVID and all that kind of stuff. I'm not surprised. Star Wars is hotter than ever, so. Yeah, well, sci-fi is going to be hotter than ever. I mean, that's another reason why I felt comfortable with doing this. I'm actually in talks with uh, another sci-fi um, podcast slash group um, who basically we're thinking about sharing like press 
stuff or doing stuff like we'll go to compounds where I'm going next week. Um, so next week's show is going to be set up a little bit differently. I'm going to record the news probably in my home on Friday and then Saturday all day I'm going to Comic-Con. Um, so the rest of the video will be pictures from Comic-Con along with the audio that I've recorded at Comic-Con. Um, I haven't decided how I'm going to splice all that together yet or how all that's going to work. So hopefully next week's episode still comes out alright. Well, we'll see. But I'm going up to the Niagara Falls Comic Con next week. So I'm super excited. I would be too. A lot going on. William Sh uh, Will I hear William Shatner's going to be there? Yeah, Shatner's going to be in there. I've already paid to get pictures. So hopefully I get a picture of me and him together and I'll post it on the website. I will too. <laughs> On the Facebook, at least, not the website. I don't have a website yet. Um, but yeah, definitely will be going on the Facebook. So I'm excited about that. All right. So now it's time to introduce you to Kevin here. So, Kevin, how long have you been listening to sci fi or watching sci fi? Sci fi, uh, I would say I've been, I've been watching a little bit on and off for, for most of my entire life. Um, it's hard to judge because everyone has a different opinion of what actually falls into sci-fi uh, especially listening to your earlier episodes with uh, even um, even the, the podfather of how how do you define sci-fi where, where do you draw the line um, uh, what's I, fantasy and what's science fiction exactly and, exactly what's what's more realistic and obtainable what's far-fetched with alien technology things like that so it's so it's definitely a very diverse group um, uh, probably my biggest thing is uh, Star is uh, Star Wars. Uh, I, I absolutely love Star Wars. Uh, even even things such as uh, uh, I've even heard uh, even Jurassic Park is considered a little bit of science fiction. Well, yeah, that's because of the bioengineering behind it. Correct. Um, and and we'll cover sort of a topic a little bit on about bioweapons and that kind of stuff and genetic modification. Um, but even though it's it's just that is takes our current science and then goes a little bit further. We aren't quite capable of making dinosaurs at the time Jurassic Park came out. Yeah, no. But um, but but applying real world science to it, it definitely seems more plausible. And read it. And that and, and how it's such you know especially for me, uh, uh, growing up, I I was a kid for years and years and years who loved dinosaurs, who looked at dinosaur books. Right. So so growing up watching the original Jurassic Park movies is just you know, Oh, it was great. It was wonderful. And they right. still they still hold up great. Did you ever read Michael Crichton's book? Uh, I have not. You see. You would have gotten a lot more of the science from that. Michael Crichton did a really good job of researching researching the science and just moving us that ten years in advance using the science ten years, ten or fifteen years earlier. Gotcha. All right. So, what's your? We already covered your favorite star or sci-fi show. Uh, anything else you wanna? Uh, just uh, just going over uh, for first shows. Uh, they definitely blend a little bit more towards the anime side, but things like uh, Gundam, Zoids, uh, Big O, basically stuff with like mech suits. For whatever reason, uh, the idea of like uh, if if there's a sci-fi movie or show or anything like that that deals with mech suits. Well, come on, aliens and the power loader. Absolutely. And, just all that kind of stuff. For, for whatever reason, that, that just has a huge appeal to me. So Oh, it's always that. had a huge appeal for me, too. So, I mean, that's what we're going to talk about in some of that stuff for today is um, even some of the body armor and some of that mm -hmm. stuff and how science fiction has even drove some of the science behind some of this yeah. stuff. 
as good science fiction should. All right, so what I wanted to do is um, I had gone to Wikipedia, and you guys can go there too, and there was a sci-fi, what did I do with it? Weapons and sci-fi thing that I sent Kevin so that he could do a little bit more researching and all that kind of stuff. So when we're thinking about early science fiction, we are definitely thinking more along the lines of Jules Verne, right? And he came up with some interesting weapons. I can't remember the last arrow or the fulgurator. Um, but I do remember the ray gun from H.G. Wells' War. Heat ray gun. How plausible do you think that is? Well, uh, as I said before, it depends how bad you want it. You throw enough time and money at something, you can usually make it happen. But um, as far as uh, what what that would fall under is probably energy weapons. Things like the U.S. military, they're already in, they're already looking to invest in, a th uh, in stuff like that. That falls under things like rail guns. Uh, Don't they have like a non-lethal, uh, it's similar to heat ray gun thing that uses kind of like microwave radiation a little bit to kind of make you feel hot and you like you want to get out of the area basically yeah they're they from from what little from what little i've looked at and heard, and heard about it and the few research i've done is that they're looking they're basically looking into ways for non-lethal confrontation with combatants or just un, un, unruly groups to, to to more or less uh, diffuse situations yeah, i remember when hg wells came out like they hadn't even discovered x-ray radiation quite yet. So um, it wasn't until x-ray radiation and radioactivity that they decided to do a lot more stuff with um, ray guns being made of bright light or loud noises like lightning or electric cars, and then tanks, modern, um, semi-modern tanks using rail guns or laser guns. What do we think about the possibilities of those? I think more than likely it would be a sooner than later thing. Um, as I said, they're, they're already looking at... They're well, the Navy has already tested and has utilized a rail gun. It's not as effective as they would want it to be. It's not bad. No. But obviously they are not putting on every ship coming out in the U.S. Navy fleet, so there's something going on with the technology. What what I think that is definitely holding things back the most is not is uh, not only just the money and the research into it, but also people underestimate how much power it takes to to generate these these types of weapons. So so you so you have to think of it like this. Um, one of the things I think that is going to be a generation a generational leap in weapons is going to be the power, the material it's made out of, and then the cost. So you're saying we really need like fusion reactors to be able to do they need they need a way to be able the power source is there but but not but not not every single ship can have a massive electric grid that can power new york city attached to it right they need they need some way to power it and then also to be able to transport that power so batteries if you look at if you look at batteries as a whole from the early 1900s all the way to modern times uh, batteries have kind of almost plateaued so well they definitely did i mean um even the, the newer generation of batteries, the lithium ions, they have a limitation behind them. 
Yes. Um, and I'll build lithium iron is a lot better at keeping you at full power for longer. It still has that chemical reaction process that happens in most lithium ion batteries that degrade the battery over time and there's only so much power it stores and certain limitations to it. Yeah. Um, so let's keep going in this. Lasers being the next big thing. Uh, it wasn't until eventually lasers that they really started adding this to sci-fi stuff for like Lost in Space TV or even pulse rifle. So what do you think about a pulse rifle? What is a pulse rifle? A pulse rifle, how we think of it, is a way, is a, is a portable, that is keyword, portable uh, energy weapon that is able to to not to not only uh, dispatch adversaries but also to defeat various targets. So so it's much more than just you know shoot that what shoot that what is your bad guy. But it's also be able to penetrate through various material. Since that is since that we are we 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 reached a point where we're having dif difficulties penetrating certain materials. Armor is one of them. So if we can't penetrate it for for traditional ballistics, you can either use explosives. Or what they're now looking to is through energies, through basically energy just weapons. completely overwhelm the temper, the heat, and just more or less, lack of a better term, drill a hole through it. So you actually predict that we will go towards more of an energy-based weapons because the armor has gotten that good? Absolutely. Interesting. Uh, here we go. Here's one for you. How about a phaser from Star Wars? Uh, it's one of the or Star Trek, I mean, not Star Wars. So Star Trek phaser, it's like a laser, it's like a plasma energy beam. Uh, also has this unique stun setting type of thing, which I'm still not sure how that works. Yeah, I, I, I know it's your, uh, I'll admit that my knowledge of Star Trek is, is extremely limited. Um, however, I'm sort of aware of the phaser and its ability to stun. However, how I, I have no idea where that comes from or the real application for that. So here's the way I pictured it in my head here going on. So in order to put both of those, they have to be energy weapons. So the, the stun setting on it gives you an electric pulse that somehow sends it through your body through non-contact things. So it sends a directed energy to your body that your body either then reads as an electric nerve pulse and therefore stuns you okay. because of that, or it does um, generate an electric kind of beam that it shoots out somehow. So it's a wireless taser? Yeah, it's a wireless taser, is the way I picture that setting. And then for the actual laser, or the, the, the other side of it, the phaser or whatever, it's, it's using that energy in a different manner and directing that energy to create that laser-like beam from it. And then somehow they get it into a handheld portable device. Again, you know, time, money, space. So the the technology is there for lasers and laser weapons. They use it on, they, I, I've seen reports of them using it on, on battleships and also various hardened fortresses and targets to, to stop rockets and missiles. Right. But just the ability to well, transport it and power it. Alright, they're using a lot more like um, a SeaWiz system for, for most of the, the ships. The problem now is they found a way to avoid the laser being able to destroy the weapon by making the weapon move 
at supersonic speeds. So you don't have enough time at supersonic and low speeds. So uh, Mach 5 at about 100 feet off the ground, um, you don't have time between the time you recognize the target, lock on, and shoot your laser at it to actually destroy the laser because it's a beam weapon and requires a minimum amount of lock on time and hold time to hold it there. What this is, um, Bernie, what this is reminding me of, have you ever heard of the term kinetic bombardment? Yes, I have. All right. Are you familiar with, with Project Thor? I am not 100% familiar with Project Thor, but. It, it sounds like, and, and there's plenty of examples in sci-fi, so you yes. launch a weapon up under the space and say it's got like titanium rods or some kind of rods here, you get it up to this, uh, a certain speed when launching it back down to Earth and between that speed and gravity, it now pulls it in as an asteroid traveling in like Mark 10 or above. Yeah. And then by the time it actually impacts the ground, the shockwave from the actual impact, the heat and the shockwave from that impact can level both buildings and other things without, it's like a nuclear blast going off without the radiation side. Correct. So um, I I came across uh, Project Thor and the idea of kinetic bombardment years ago um, through, uh, through a video game and the scary thing is, is that it, it's it is exactly it's it is, extremely plausible. It, it is it, it's not only plausible, but they're it's it, it's actively in development of research. And what? Well, I mean, so was Star Wars back in the '80s. The Star Wars program correct. from the U.S. Um, I don't need an iPad. My, sorry, my uh, computer beeped at us during this thing, telling me if I wanted to add an iPad to me. Apparently, the guys next door using an iPad and my I understand. computer recognized it. <laughs> I understand, but uh, some was of, in the middle of something, but go ahead. Yeah, uh, some of the uh, scary uh, scary things looking into it is that uh, what they use, they do use metal rods. Um, they, they actually use tungsten. Uh, tungsten is an extremely hard and durable metal. Uh, it, it is used, it has been used in various uh, armor piercing types of uh, projectiles weapons, yeah. stuff like that tanks particularly tank to tank weapons exactly for uh, for armor for armor penetration um what, what the numbers i have from it is that it is that the rods they use uh, i unfortunately i wasn't able to come up with the weight but uh the size wise it is a one foot by 20 foot long metal pole so think of it it's basically the size of a telephone pole and that's and that's launched from space and depending on where the satellite is uh, it has a 12 to 15 minute um, target acquisition time. So from when it's launched to when it impacts the surface is 12 to 15 minutes. Uh, as it comes through the atmosphere, it's going Mach 10. And when it, when it hits its target, it's, a, it's going about Mach 8.6. So, and with that, and based on, based on its, uh, its um, mass and velocity, that yields about 11.5 tons of TNT equivalents. Or 11.5 tons. 11.5 tons of TNT, of TNT impact. So, I uh, equate that to a bomb or something else. Um, for it's tough to put that in perspective, but those are yeah, just, that's a, that's it a, is a, it is. But uh, but but for some of the people out there who actually want to try to do the math and compare it to other various things, uh, don't want to get off into real world examples of things like that being used. But um, it's 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 certainly a thing that's that's. The interesting, city but it's, block is it city? I mean, how much? 
right. destroying. Yeah. It's, it's tough to say because it also depends on the target. It, 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 is, it, is it hitting soft ground? Is it hitting the side of a mountain? Is it hitting an armored fortress? So the whole, okay. the, the whole purpose of the whole purpose of the weapon system is for penetration first and foremost. If you're if you have a hard, ground penetration, so a hardened bunker. If you're having a hardened target, you know, within a bunker or something, it's designed to penetrate all the way all the way through the surface and then do its thing. No. I know you're not big into sci-fi, right? which is one of the reasons why I wanted to bring you on here. You're not huge. Have you heard of the Escape or Expanse series or watching it on Amazon? I've heard of it, but I don't know too much about it. So go ahead. So the Expanse series also uses as a way from between Mars, Earth, and the outer colony type of stuff, which is basically asteroids and all that kind of stuff. They shoot some asteroids at Earth and end up using the asteroids as that and big time damage is being done. Because it's hard to track a small asteroid and pick it up quick enough right. to stop it if you don't know where it's coming from. Right. And then just to intercept it. So, yeah. Right. All right. Uh, what else? Let's see. Plasma weapons. What do you think about plasma? High energy ionized gas. So what's interesting about about plasma is that yes, it is the fourth state of matter. So what what is really interesting about plasma is that when I was doing a little bit of my uh, research towards this, uh, inevitably brings me uh, around to the Star Wars topic of how there is a really really interesting video I found on YouTube, uh, where uh, it's from the channel Hacksmith, uh, where they create a what they claim to be the world's first plasma lightsaber. Okay. Where they actually use plasma gas to effectively create a as close as they can to a real world lightsaber. They've had several prototypes in the past using different types of superheated metal rods where where now they where now people have, have asked them if they can create a where they have a, a retractable blade and one that can also change color. So you can come up with all the different colors of the lights of the uh, Star Wars universe. So the the lightsaber, quote unquote, that they're able to come up with runs at around four thousand degrees Fahrenheit, which is more than enough, which is more than enough to cut through anything. Most 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 of I'm sure there's I'm sure there are things out Not there. Quite everything. I'm sure there are things no, out there. there are some things that have multi point around six thousand. Exactly. So I'm sure they use that within space programs and things like that. But four thousand degrees is no is no joke when your typical steel's melting point is around anywhere between 2,000 and 2,200 degrees Fahrenheit, so it's more than enough to cut through it. So, so stuff like that was, was incredible to, to see come up with of how, of how science fiction is even driving people in the real world to come up, to try to imitate and, and come up with these different things for, various, for, for just fond entertainment. So speaking about that and staying on the Star Wars topic, Dave had mentioned at one point in time that he, and I forgot which guy he said he used, um, that if they actually had the Death Star fire its power beam, it would, yes. it would have basically had enough inertia and all that kind of stuff to basically pancake everybody on the inside of the wall as soon as they fired it of the Death Star. I believe it is. Um, they would say it would instantly move back almost like a million miles type of thing. Mm -hmm. I believe it because everything has an equal and opposite reaction. So that's, right. that's with anything in life. Um, speaking of the Death Star, um, I remember uh, watching things before in the past of how, how close are the Star Wars weapons and the idea 
well, what they said was the biggest thing against the Death Star, not only just its sheer size and cost, but is, is how there is how its death beam works, of how it shoots all the very smaller lasers to a centralized focal point, and then that combines for larger laser, uh, for laser rather, of how lasers in real life, they don't work that way. There has to be some type of a prism or something to collect it and redirect it forward. Um, so are we, are we getting close to that? I I don't think so at all. Uh, and it, it, well, I mean, if we're gonna if we're gonna stay in that, we can go into how that would work. Okay. All right. So don't forget, you have to overcome that inertia of all that kind of stuff. So we're gonna assume they're good at manipulating gravity. Okay. So what if it's a gravity lens or prism that they're using yeah. as the focal? That's another, and I feel like I'm. I'm so you have your basically like a small black hole type of thing to actually focus the laser. Give you the way to, to ask. I would kind of think it's if, if they're able to get around the opposite reaction of firing such a weapon, being able to collect the lasers to concentrate them, then creating one centralized uh, cannon. Yeah, I, I, I can see that. I don't know how... So you wouldn't need a physical thing in there and you're using gravity to create the distortion or your prism. I'm, I'm no astrophysicist, but I I suppose. I suppose. You suppose. I suppose. <laughs> I don't want to pretend to be one. Oh, I'm not going to pretend to be one. I actually wanted to get my engineer friend on and go over stuff at one point in time, um, and she's been really busy doing other stuff and she has something else going on. Fun fact for you, uh, speaking of the Death Star, um, do you remember in 2013 when there was an online petition passed around for the United States government to fund and build a real-world Death Star? I did not. Yes. In uh, 2013, there was a real-life uh, petition passed around the internet to collect signatures to propose to the United States government to build such a, to build such a weapon. And what's even better is that the White House actually responded in an official letter. Um, nice. They explained that the cost would be the cost. Uh, I actually have I actually have the cost here. Um, it's tough to read. Uh, it's uh, this is where this is where I need my math people. Uh, it's over. It's 850. To, just to it just 850. There's a lot of zeros. That's hundred thousand. That's millions. It's billions. It's trillions. It's the one above trillions. So, <laughs> it's a, that was the that was what the White House estimated the cost, and the, at the very and bottom, it does not support blowing up planets. That was at the very bottom of their official letter. Is that is that this uh, <laughs> is that is that this government does not support blowing up planets? So so I, so so again, you know, things in sci-fi that actually come come around to the real world of how enough people. Got the idea that 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 something like that should be funded, and then and then oh, then proposed to, to you know to their government, and then the government actually re got got enough attention from it and enough people asking them that they had to officially respond to it. Nice. Is 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 just funny. It is kind of hilarious. All right, we were going to stay in space and go with space and ship to ship weapons out in space first okay. before. We go into your favorite topic of handguns. Oh boy! And that's the whole reason why we brought you onto the show is to talk Got about the handguns. And gotcha. How, um, marine tactics and all that kind of stuff would work. All right. So, uh, what do you know about uh, grazer? You know anything about grazer weapons? 
Uh, it doesn't sound familiar to me. So that would be a gamma ray x-ray. So it's lasers tend to have a lower energy level where a grazer would have a higher energy level. Um, they're plausible for us to reduce um, easiest way to be able to produce some of the um, gamma things to have an already radioactive source and make it more excited to produce even more thing and then you got to focus okay. those, um, those things into it but since it's such high energy thing it is much like a gamma um, ray being launched in space if you shoot a, a ray out um, it doesn't stop. No. Right? So it keeps going until it hits something. Now it does spread out over time, weakening this thing. That's why we're not instantly melted when Star goes supernova and shoots gamma rays out of there. But if we were close enough to the star, the gamma rays would actually fry everybody in the planet. Um, depending upon how close we are, or slowly cook us. I mean, it depends upon how much dosage and everything else we got. So you don't know anything about it. So you don't know whether that's plausible or not plausible to do. This is honestly the first time I've heard of such a thing. Similar to a laser. All right. Uh, What about laser weapons? Ship to ship bells. Think of maybe, think of that kind of stuff. I would would say something, yeah. There's there's not only, um, if you think back to even to ancient history, um, most people are probably familiar with the concept of Archimedes' death ray. So, so that when I hear of ship to ship, you know, that not only does just the the modern weapons come, you know, modern laser technology, but that, that makes me think back back to that of how of how scientists are still trying to recreate that to see if that was a thing if that was if, if that was, was real plausible yeah um i remember a uh, a mythbusters they're saying on i that. do too where they focused everything through there and, yep. and just a big magnifying glass and it yep like another plane like the kid on an anthill yeah so you've seen you know doing do that just on a much larger scale if they can focus and concentrate the light enough so it to create such a pinpoint where it could it could burn holes through through wooden ships and sails, but going on to more modern takes, what what could be what could be not only used uh, as, a, as as a primarily from what I from what I've seen what what I've been able to come up with is that they're more used on a defensive basis against rocket and missile attacks because of the length of time and the lockout. Yep, the speed, you know, and obviously as uh, uh, how fast the laser travels because it's traveling faster than the missile or the rocket, so it's able to intercept. Intercept it as long as, as long as they can have the time to track its trajectory and its course, then they can then they can fire the laser where where the missile's going to be rather than where it's at. See where it's at, right? All right, so that takes a lot of the space battles, my favorite book, out a little bit um, with the lasers and the grazers in it. But the other thing they do is um, basically space launch torpedoes. Okay. All right, so you have your photon torpedoes from like Star Trek. You have. I don't think Star Wars used any kind of torpedoes. The only so so Star Wars is interesting, and I, I'm I'm trying to think back to all of the movies, um, some of the of the legends of material. I have looked into some of that stuff. The only time, the only thing I I can vividly remember where they use weapons other than lasers themselves was in Episode Two with the Hellfire droids, where they basically fired what looked to be just missiles. 
Right. If, if you remember them, single body with, with large double wheels on the sides as they right, were right, right, right. in the Battle of Genosis. Yeah. And that was the only time I remember them actually using Seeing anything that was missile based. Something it was not even just not even just missile based, but but a a physical property rather than an energy property. Right. It's the only time I can remember that for being used in Star Wars. I'm sure there are other examples, but that's all I can think. No, of that's can. that's actually a good point because I couldn't even remember any of that from Star Wars. So a a ship to ship missile battle obviously they, they would have to have a standoff range mm -hmm. and all that kind of stuff to affect your tactics but you still think even out in space is very plausible to, to do right i think it's i think it's plausible once once it in, inevitably you know the the space race is still going on so we are not only are as we as a species going to inevitably going to be up in space you know, we as humans, we're we are going to fight over space. So that's we're, uh, yeah, unfortunately, I, I I wish it wasn't, but it's it's probably going to happen. So kind of what 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 I would think of it as is different as what is what's done for, for some applications for armored uh, defeat today is where they have two parts is where they have two part systems to weapons. So going to the thing that like photon torpedoes and everything else is a way is is a two part system. The first to either weaken or defeat the armor, and then a second part for the ammunition to go into and then explode or penetrate or do more. Well, yeah, well, you can also throw, I mean, since you're out in space, you can actually throw nuclear weapons in one or another and not really affect no. anything too much around it. No, you can't. Well, no, no, I'm saying no. No, as I agree that I, 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 I didn't think of that. That, that is, if the uh, there, there is, there is a, there is a treaty that um, kind, of, kind of going, going back to the connect with Barman thing. There is actually a treaty that was signed by several nations in the '60s that stops nuclear weapons from being put up into orbit and, and up in the space. Right. And that's what's that's basically uh, <laughs> that, um, that will that will hold off. Hopefully, us for a while from doing a lot of that stuff. And that, because anytime we do any of that kind of stuff, but realistically, if you're talking millions of miles from Earth and it's never going to affect Earth, because what they were thinking was it was going to affect Earth at some point in time. But if you're saying you're going to fight the battle on the other side of the freaking what sun, you, what they, it doesn't really affect Earth. Yeah, what they, you know, what they don't know won't hurt them, kind of right. things like that, you know. Type of thing. Yeah. Um, and then let me think. Is there any other? Because you got the the bigger phaser for Star Trek. Yeah, yeah. And you put super. Yeah, pretty much covers most of our space stuff. Okay. And we cover most of that stuff. So handguns. Handguns. All right. So and these are all handheld weapons. Wow. All right. So I went and I got a bunch of different stuff off the internet for some of the famous stuff and I, I put pictures on my phone and stuff like that um, but some of the things that they were um, talking about were <laughs> what was this from this was from a Jude Law character in I forgot what the movie was called here it's not in here um, where the director David Cronenberg had a thing for bizarre weapons, and Jude Law creates a a weapon out of leftover like particle thing. Um, so those are all like chicken bones and other stuff, and he, he creates a, a gun somehow and all that yeah, stuff. Yeah, a mock-up. So <laughs> it's a, it's definitely interesting. Um, 
plausibility. Create I had to create a not not only just an energy weapon, but a actual firearm from leftover organic material. Good luck. Good luck. <laughs> Good luck. Not, uh, I'm not sure. Really plausible. I'm sure if you can, there'll be someone out there that buy your idea and make lots of money off All of right. it. But so, how about Starship Troopers and the man portable nuclear weapon? So going off uh, this, um, it's been a while since I've seen Starship Troopers. Um, it's already been done. If you are you familiar with the Davy Crockett? So the Davy Crockett was actually not only research looked into, but actually experiments had never fielded by the U.S. military um, into the uh, 60s. Basically, is the idea of a not quite man portable nuclear weapon, but but a port but a portable we nuclear weapon that's able to transported whether by a helicopter or actually by vehicle, or where it, it, it's a nuclear warhead atta attached to various uh, just weaponry. And the whole idea was was to that a small vehicle can shoot a small nuclear warhead, and hopefully get out of the blast range, rather than rather than a plane. Uh, death from above drop it from above ah. so it was actually like I said it was actually experimented and, look, and looked into um, one of the uh, going off topics slightly for uh, video game people if you've ever played Metal Gear Solid 3 I played Metal Gear Solid that was a very that um, they actually in the early game that they, they uh, showcased the the Russian colonel uh, using using the weapon. It, what uh, the real life ones wasn't that small, right. but it's the same concept of of a smaller, almost man portable nuclear device weapon. So so going from Starship Troopers is that it's not only is it possible, it's already been done. All right, all right. How about the little cricket from MIB? Remember when uh, Will Smith was given this. Uh, little bitty gun. <laughs> it's been a, uh, it's the same thing. Say you're making me reach far back, men in black. But yeah. yeah, what's really interesting is that when I see this, it's like a sonic weapon. The the the, the first thing I think of for when I see this is a uh, what's known as a liberator pistol from World War II, just to its sheer size and arguably crude construction. But um, but when 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 I think of Men in Black, the, the the thing that comes first and foremost to mind is the classic Men to white people's memories. That 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 comes first and foremost. But that 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 isn't. That well, is that's funny. like a biological weapon, uh, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Because if you have the ability to wipe people's memories temporarily, that that's definitely a biological weapon. It it, it interferes with uh, with the uh, chemistry of the body. So I I would I would agree with that. Right. All right, let me see what other ones I got up here. Uh, well, I mean, I got some things like the the head bomb from um, Total Recall. I remember Total Recall, yep. And he was going through the airport and they figure out what he is and he takes off that head mask thing and mm -hmm. a fake and then tosses it and it blows up like a little hand grenade. Yeah. Just uh, even even just look at the image for this is uh, it's quite the striking image, <laughs> right? <laughs> I thought that was interesting. Uh, other than the the uh, mechanics to to have something that would fit over your head and still move like you, uh, and being small enough, I mean I could see uh, weapons like that, a grenade type thing being built into something that small fairly easily. Mm -hmm. What about uh, thermal detonators? 
thermal detonators. So, so things, yeah, exactly. So things from Star Wars. Um, what, what I think of, uh, of thermal detonators is with its name, thermal. So something that, that not only generates an explosion, but in, in an, 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 an intense amount of heat, which, which in my mind brings me to uh, thermite. Thermite. Okay. Uh, thermite used in various applications for, again, mel uh, melting steel, melting armor. Uh, the thing with uh, most uh, metal-based uh, metal armor, rather, is that it's often used in steel and it, it's hardened to various degrees on the uh, Brunel harness scale. And once you draw enough heat from it, you draw the temper from it, and then you make it soft steel. It's so like, for instance, if you take a piece of steel that's hardened steel that's armor-plated, quote unquote, a you throw in a campfire, you bring up the temperature, you, you take it back out, it's no longer hardened and then it becomes what's known Very as brutal. it's known as it's known as what we call mild steel at that point. So it loses its temper. So 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 going to thermal detonators, something something like this would be if if it's magnetic or able to be attached to various things, this this would be something where not only uses like a hand grenade, but actually used to attach to moving or armor targets to basically melt away the armor on the outside. I'm gonna give you another great one from another sci-fi thing. It has nothing to do with thing, but it is a handheld weapon. Go ahead. The identity disc from Tron. Oh, Tron. <laughs> so, what the deal is, and you can read it up on my phone here, is the identity disc is basically all your information of who you are and all that kind of stuff that's stored into this disc that's attached to you. And you can take that disc off of you, you can throw it at somebody and use it to mess up all their data and get the get yourself back without damage to yourself per se. Okay. So so it's basically almost like, like a, a frisbee. It's a it's it, it's almost but, like a because I know Tron take it's I, I have seen the Tron movies. Again, it's been a little while since I've seen either one of them, but I know it takes place within a computer world. So basically, it's a it's you're more or less throwing a virus at someone else to to corrupt their programming. All right, so another one from the uh, a Michael Crichton. All right, this weapon's called the Look Light Oculator Oriented Kinetic Emotive Response Gun. Uh, doesn't fire bullets, but pulses the light that multiple that momentarily daze their target, making yourself basically almost invisible to your target because you basically can't see. So we're longer. so basically we're talking. Are we talking like a temporary blindness or a permanent blindness where you can no longer see? Temporary blindness. Okay. Um, uh, what I what I what, what comes to mind from thinking of this is uh, is uh, when you were a kid in the schoolyard and you see who can stare at the sun the longest, and then when you're done staring at the sun, you can't see anything for quite a while. So, so something like that. Why would you do that? Well, That's so bad for your eyes. Well, you, well, you're either staring at the sun or you're looking at the flagpole in the middle of winter. Kids will be kids. <laughs> All right, uh, I never did that. How about uh, mono molecular wire? Monowire. Wire. Johnny Mnemonic used this famously. See, I'm, I'm throwing Kevin all for a loop here. Yeah. This is not all the stuff that we get expected to talk about. No, no, yet. I didn't. So, but no, but the, but this is quite interesting. The scene of, I, you know, someone for me from um, for almost completely from the outside uh, being delved into this and seeing it's it's quite interesting. 
So, so basically, for when I get through this, it's being able to it's a, generate a very thin wire that you're able to cut through very. Yeah, one areas. molecule wide. Therefore, it doesn't break. No. But it slices through everything one molecule wide. You could basically decapitate somebody by wrapping it around their head. I, w I would almost think that if something is that thin, that it's. It, 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 now, now, virtually, uh, the image I have here, you know, it, it shows an image of the character using it, but it, it would be imperceptible to see it. And then, and then I would also question that if something that small did that, would it be would it actually do any damage to its intended target? Something something that small. Well, that's a good question. I mean, because you have all that space between all of your cells, all that exactly. to begin with. So if it is that small, would it actually just, cause any damage? Would, would it just pass through? Or would it just pass through? Uh, much like uh, neutrons already do, or a bunch of other things already pass through your body on a regular basis. Exactly. Look at um, things, uh, just television, radio waves. Right. We're constantly, all, all day in, it doesn't, you know, that, we, that we know of, doesn't doesn't really adversely affect us. All right, Here here's... Uh, one, how about RoboCop's weapon? RoboCop. Um, it's basically a low, a leg holster that keeps his weapon in there. It's a three-round shot, nine, auto nine. Mm -hmm. I know that's very plausible, but do you remember that weapon from RoboCop? Have you seen RoboCop? Uh, I've I've only seen the original, and it's it's been some time. I have not seen the remakes or any of the, I haven't seen the sequels to either. it. Um, I have watched a few scenes from the remake. It, it, it visually, it's, it, it's, it's very, it's, it's not very. No, I actually have seen the remake. Um, just, just looking at, at the gun, uh, the railroad example. Uh, what comes to mind for me is some it's type. Not a nine millimeter. I can tell you that from the look of it. Even, even just looking at it, uh, look, look, looking at the handle and the grip, everything is to me screams a Beretta series. It's not quite a ninety-two. Because the the safety for it is is on the frame and not the slide, but it has every but it has everything else that that would that just to me yells Beretta. <laughs> All right, see that's why he's on here. Yeah. All right, you ready? How about the unlicensed nuclear accelerators that Ghostbusters use? Ghostbusters. I'll, I'm gonna have to admit to you, I have I've never finished Ghostbusters. I will admit to you, I know that your looks at even the new one, even the new one, the chicks in it. I have not seen it. Uh, your your look, your, your look says it all. I, I, sorry, I shouldn't call it the little chicks, but that's all right. <laughs> the the we'll call uh, we'll call it the new generation. The new generation. New generation. A new take. <laughs> so what? So. <laughs> So, so I love how you're shaking your head. Just, I, I, people on the video, or I'm on just, the podcast, can't see that. But I'm, I'm just trying to think of not only uh, the, the thing. What, what I like about it is that is that it's known as that it isn't just something they hold in their hand and then there it goes. Uh, that they actually have to wear a backpack for it, which, which, which comes up to the thing I keep being the drum on is is the power source and how are you going to carry that around. So that's so that's one thing I do like about it. As for its application for ghosts, if you believe in ghosts or not, um, I, I have no idea. All right, how about Decker's weapon from Blade Runner? This is still a handgun, but it's kind of like a, a rifle as well because it, it's it can shoot long distance with it. 
It was designed to go after replicants, human beings that are basically been uh, copied. So, so looking at this, um, the grip to me, the grip to me, it, it, it looks like an overlarge uh, target grip. It, it, it reminds me of a revolver type grip. But going on to how you say a a handgun that's able to basically behave as like a rifle is that what you said yeah so what is kind of interesting with that is that that's been a an ongoing thing is how can we get a the ability to fire projectile long distance with accuracy and maintain power within a handgun package um one a little bit more recent gun that comes to mind for that to me is um Sorry, completely drawing the blank on it. Oh, is the uh, is the FK Bruno pistol in 7.5? Um, it is a bottleneck. Uh, it is a bottleneck cartridge. So, so meaning that the projectile diameter is smaller than the overall case diameter. So, it's very common to most rifle rounds in that regard, uh, where its it, its main goal is to generate as much velocity as it can from a small package. Right. And how and, and what is interesting about that handgun with that cartridge is that. Its claim is that it is able to defeat soft body armor at 100 yards from a handgun. Mm -hmm. Granted, if the if the shooter is is able to hit its intended target, so so being able to def defeat armor at distance with a handgun. Nice. So so that's that's what that reminds for your next one. That remind, that's what that comes to mind. Go ahead. This one's from Predator Two. Oh, this is the smart uh, disc. the smart disc. So so <laughs> I'm actually happy you brought up Predator because uh, I. Get to the choppa hoppa. Get to the choppa. Um, I I have for whatever reason, and I don't know why, but I have seen Predator Two more than any other within the Predator series. Oh, wow! All if right. you even want to include Alien within it, I know it gets murky with the AVP stuff. If you want to, if you were keeping Predator separate from Alien, but I've actually seen Predator Two quite a bit, and um, the 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 disc from Predator was was to me not only uh, just it, it was cool because I, I I still remember the scene in the slaughterhouse. Right. With, with Gary Busey's character and and obviously um is it Donald Glover? Yes. Um a one a one a one predator throws the disc through the slaughterhouse and it just it 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 cuts through every single thing it touches including the including uh, Gary Busey's character and then and then even all, all the racks of meat. So that was interesting and then uh, famously when one predator is handing from um Donald Glover's uh or is it Dan? Oh, I'm sorry, I'm confusing my actors. Is Donald it, or Danny? Donald. Okay. It, it, when when Predator's hanging from Don Glover's arm, and he uses the disc uh, to cut the cut off Predator's arm to save himself. So, so that that is definitely a. I, I'm glad you brought that up. That, that that's a really cool sci-fi weapon. How how realistic is that? Uh, you know, can something be done? Sure, uh, but the, the fact is, how is it going to come back to the user, and is it going to do damage to the user? So the aliens, since we're, we're talking mm -hmm. about aliens, for aliens versus predator, the Space Marines have their own rifles. They're very similar to the rifles used today. Yes. So, so, so even going at, uh, um, so I even have a little, I even have a little uh, note section here about aliens. So, so what shown here, the main gun using aliens. Is actually a mock-up from a Thompson M1A1 from from uh, World War II. Okay. The there is a Spaz 12 shotgun as the forend, and then there's a, and then there's a, there's other bits and pieces cobbled together. Uh, what's cool that probably the most notable feature of that not only is it just firing, but the fact that it has the round counter in it. 
So that's that's something that's been that's been chased for a long time within uh, firearms and weapons today. Is how do you, is how how do you get that halo like? Yeah, yes. Uh, ha- round ha- counter. Yeah. How do you? And why would it be necessary? I mean, you. We had this argument before we even got onto the podcast. I mean, it's just as quickly to remove the mag to see how much you got left in there. Correct. But here's the next sci-fi gun I want you to consider when it comes to this. And this is what, um, on, out of my Honor Harrington series books here, all right? Okay. So this is not a very popular thing. It's called the Flechette gun, Follette gun. It's basically... Flechette? Yeah, it basically shoots little tiny... Um, darts. They're like darts, but they're not darts. They are okay. um, very, very thin triangular pieces of weapons magnetically set down the barrel and leaves a, the same velocity as a bullet does. So almost like... And they will go through your body and tear through even armor and all that kind of stuff because it's like, you know, whatever. So kind of like mini arrowheads. Yeah, like mini arrowheads. Okay. Um, that what what I think of like that is where you could have in your magazine that's no bigger than your basically nine thing, three hundred of those things in that magazine along with the recharge for the battery for it. Okay. All right. So whatever your power source and the flechettes go into there at the same time, um, then gun has some residual power still built into it, so you always have a screen on it. But if say you have three hundred of those in there, and you hold it down and just keep shooting, and just spray, right, like. It's very useful to know how many of those you got left. Right. Yeah. Um, even even thinking of that 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 reminds me. It's basically thinking of like rail guns of how they use. Yeah, it's how, similar to a rail gun. How rail guns are using hand, handheld. How rail guns are using uh, basically magnets to, right. to to move to move metal objects at a at, at an incredible at an incredible speed. That's that's typically often faster than conventional weapons do because we've. For for the most part, there we, we have reached a point with firearms, uh, where the propellants we use for them can only propel them so fast, and with using rail guns, we're able to move Get past move that. past that. And the key in in the real in the real world, uh, uh, the the thing that that defeats armor is speed. Projectile design is one thing; weight does play a factor, but first and foremost is speed. If you get something moving fast enough. It will. It, it eventually will punch holes through things. But going. But going back to, uh, for a for a round counter. Um, I, I never thought of it like that for 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 a miniature size of uh, projectiles or, something like that. It would be good to know of how many you have left. Right, and it'd be hard for you to just even pull it out and gauge yeah. how many you had left. No, no, I like that. It's a good argument. So I mean, and that's why I, I bring like why we're trying to get into, particularly if we move past explosive type weapons. Mm-hmm. The nice thing about that particular weapon is it's silent. Yep. So therefore, you don't know it's coming at you till already till it's after it's been fired. Right. Yeah. I would say it would be hard to track, hard to follow. That's you know that's that that's one common thing is what maybe is, is once you begin firing, right. you know where's the fire coming from and you can you can almost uh, especially if they're tracer based weapons you can you can see where the fire is coming from. Right. But then you can see from modern guns you know the muzzle flash you can see where it's coming from. And these don't have a muzzle. And these flash. don't have, these don't have any of that. So, but wind would affect that easier because it is that arrow type like size thing. And, all that kind of stuff. I know speed will overdo that, but it will. Even experiences and stuff like that would affect those type of weapons a little bit more. So, 
they're better at close in, basically yeah. assassination type like weapons where you you have to get close to your target. Yeah, you, distance. It would have to be you have to get close, and only you have to have a big enough cone of fire where you're going to hit what you intend to. Right. So something like that close in, a wall of flechettes, a wall of small, basically metal arrows, in order to hit intended target. Yeah. So. No, All right. Interesting. Um. So, I mean, that's why, I mean, you were saying that with the round counters. I mean, I get it when you're only talking like 12 bullets. It's it's not hard to, yeah. to keep track in your head or something like that. But when you're growing up to 300 round magazines, mm -hmm. that's where you need that. You need to know how much you have. You need to know how many rounds you, know you, you have. Because the last thing you want to do is, is in a conflict is be out of ammo. Right. And in particular, if you go to like a power type weapon. Alright, so District 9 weapon. I remember this gun. District and I'll have 9. to show you this in there. But it's. Um, I remember District, District 9 is definitely one of my favorite sci-fi weapons. I do. I so, forgot what that weapon was called. So I remember. So I I remember this uh, this weapon. Based, I, I remember this 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 weapon was used in the end scene of District Nine. It was on the mech suit again. Right. Anything with a mech suit, I'm in. And the mech suit and that was one of the coolest things, because not only was it protective, but it actually integrated the character's biology into the mech suit. So whenever the suit was hit, the character the character felt it. Um, I'm trying to draw a blank. Uh, Wickus, uh, yes. the, the main character's name. Uh, but I remember, if I remember, this was, I want to say this was on, I want to say the right arm of the mech, where it was basically a machine gun type. Well, looking at the weapon, it basically looks, it almost looks like a drill from the a fins drill front. drill or like with, a uh, blowtorch looking like With uh, pneumatic cylinders out front. And if I remember how, how the weapon fires, it's able, it's basically, whenever they show the weapon firing, it basically goes through anything it touches. So, but the but going on for District Nine weaponry, that was that some of those weapons in, in the movie was was definitely interesting, horrific, uh, uh, fun. Not, not necessarily fun, but it, different. It, yeah, different. Uh, I like the. Well, I didn't really like the bio weapon they got either in there because the whole aliens thing was to infect humans to yeah. become just like them. Yeah. You remember Krull? Have you seen Krull? It's an older 80s, 70s, 80s sci-fi. They have this boomerang thing that's kind of like where the um, that saw thing from Predator. Yeah, see, I look at this. Very similar thing. It reminds me. It reminds me of Glaive. Reminds me of Predator, almost like in real world, like a throw, almost like a it's it's a it's a boomerang. It's a five-bladed throwing star. Yeah. What is the uh, significance of this? Is it um, is it the metal it's it made out of? Is there energy The weapon based would return back to you so you could catch it again. Um, it was combination throwing star slash boomerang, and they they used it to basically kill the end guy on it. Uh, we haven't talked about a lightsaber yet either. We have a little bit. A little bit. A little bit, but not. Not too much. Not too much. I know you were saying that somebody was trying to make a plasma type like lightsaber. Correct. Have you seen the the new Star Wars um, Galaxies? Not Galaxies Edge. You had to go to the freaking hotel thing. But I've seen pictures of it. Where the new thing is, they have this weapon that you can actually still hit things with. Like it shoots up out of the handle, just like it, it normally 
like it looks like a real star or a lightsaber type of thing. It's not real, but yeah. Have you seen any of the videos on any of that stuff? Mm-hmm. You get a chance no, on YouTube some say, of that stuff. No, it's, it's cool. Is it something that's done through Disney it's and Star Wars? It's done through Disney. Okay. They don't even allow people to buy these things yet because I don't know how they make them yet. Hmm. So 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 it is like a because otherwise that would have been reverse engineered in a heartbeat. And right. People would be selling these. So just like crazy. So so explain just one more time, just so I have it straight. So it's basically a retractable. It's a retractable lightsaber. lightsaber. It's kind of like that the old uh, like you shoot it out of yeah. the thing and it would pop we all up. Had, we, but yeah. this is powered and it raises on its own and comes out and does this the whole like. Yeah. Lightsaber, a little bit thingy on it. I mean, I would stops. definitely, I would definitely pay money for that. Uh, I have. It's one... about three thousand dollars a night to stay at the hotel just wow. to watch this. Wow. <laughs> uh, I have one of the uh, the Hasbro, uh, the I think it's the Black Series FX of Luke's uh, lightsaber from Return of the Jedi, where, it you know it's a it's a one of one a replica, basically like a glass tube with a plastic housing. Where when you turn it on, a series of LED lights light up. It makes the sound of the swish, and then even when you turn off, it retracts back with the lights. So I, I have one of those, and that's that's cool. Uh, can't you can't fight or you can't you know. Yeah, the lights go up and it. down, but but you you still have that extended piece of plastic the entire time. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Um, yeah, I've seen those already. Um, they actually make ones that that have that light that goes up and down slowly like that. You can fight with too. They're about five hundred bucks a pop. That's probably why. That's something. Sounds about right. I I I know. I have heard of uh, schools and classes of where they actually teach dueling of, of the various yeah, forms. Yeah, and, I, and I know there. Kind of I know there are various uh, fencing and that kind of stuff. There are stuff. various Using forms. Savers for that. Yeah, that's interesting. All right, that was all the sci-fi weapons that I had come up with what else did you do in your research because i want to you spent some time doing some research uh i did so continuing with the uh with the star wars mantra it's it's oh blasters we don't really cover so so for me um for for sci-fi it is impossible to not talk about the weapons in star wars because uh because for for me growing up and seeing them is the or is that or that the weapons are used are mock-ups of so many real-world weapons. Uh, probably some of the most famous uh, Han Solo's blaster. It's a modified C96 Mauser pistol. It's it, it, it's. Oh yeah, a, you were talking about bringing some of your weapons that look very close to that. In. Yep. So, when we do do this up on the videos, I think Kevin took some pictures for me. I did. Of some of his weapons, we'll we'll post some of the ones that you can get on your own that look like the blasters. Yeah, that kind of stuff. and and hopefully if uh, if we're if if Tony's able to do a side by side comparison, you can do. The, I can probably do the the real world example the real world example with 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 the uh, the mock up in the with the mock up in the films. They go, oh okay, I see where it comes from, and what's and what's interesting is is how they were is how they were chosen. Um, during, uh, famously because uh, the original Star Wars came out in 1977. And at the time, George Lucas, he wanted futuristic looking weapons with some modification. Uh, what he ended up coming up with is he used a lot of it, was, some of it was prop, but he used a lot of, of real world uh, weapons from World War II, pr- primarily from Germany, because they were on the surplus market. They were at the time cheap, readily available, and it, it just a couple tinkering. Um, so uh, going on obviously with uh, Han Solo's blaster is, 
This is C96, uh, even more recently, uh, Mandel's Blaster from the Mandalorian series. It's a Bergman number one um, semi-automatic pistol. So looking, so looking at the pistol in real world compared to the sci-fi version in Star Wars, the only thing they, the only thing they did different is they added a little cone out front and they changed the hammer on it. So That's it. you go through and you look at these weapons, you see them in the sci-fi stuff, you go. Oh, I know, I know what, what real, real yes. gun that is. Which is which, which is often why that trips me out. Which is often <laughs> why I usually have to watch these movies twice because otherwise I spend so much because as soon as thinking soon as, about the weapon, I'm too busy thinking about trying to decipher what is. they are rather than pay attention to the plot. Which is which is a reason why there are so many of those <laughs> movies that I've seen that I have a hard time remembering because I spent too much time focusing on what they use and what. Oh, oh, this is that. This is that. Oh, you know what? We never even covered um, mech suits all that much either. Not really, but we can always circle back to that quickly. We can. Um, we are also, however, getting a little um, long on time. I usually keep mine down to okay. about an hour. Not problem. So uh, I want you to go through the rest of your notes here. I'm going to give you another five, ten minutes to do that. Yeah, not problem. Um, carrying on uh, within with the Mandalorian world. Uh, Cara Dune's, regardless of what you think of the actress and everything, uh, the character Cara Dune, uh, her blaster is a uh, Japanese Nambu Type 14 pistol from World War II. What about Fennec Shands? I rifle. I actually, didn't see any, I actually didn't show. see any of that. Um, oftentimes, what they use, they, they use a, they use a variety of, like, I, like I'm trying to recall from the Book of Boba Fett, uh, Boba Fett himself, a lot of the, his rifle, it looked basically like a uh, what's known as a Giselle rifle. It is a very, very distinct curvature in the buttstock for it. And seeing that immediately, it's like, oh, it's it's a, it's a Giselle rifle. It's it's basically it's basically a um, African far, far even even delving even delving into the uh, far east a little bit type of. Uh, are these more artistic weapons? I mean, they still have function, but they're more. They're, for the they art. are they are absolutely um, functional, but they're they're definitely artistic. They're very they're they're very gussied up. I'll I'll say oftentimes. Um, lots of the uh, uh, heavy blasters used in the movies, uh, they're off of uh, German uh, MG-34 machine guns from the Second World War. Uh, there, there, there's a bunch of scenes where you see some stormtroopers walking around like Tatooine and Mos Eisley, and they're carrying, they're carrying um, mock up, they're carrying mocked up MG-34s and also Lewis guns from uh, Great Britain in the First World War, also used in World War II. Uh, Boba Fett's blaster. Speaking of Boba Fett, uh, is is nothing more than a a British Webley flare gun, that is mocked up with a additional scope on it, and then a little bit curvature to the barrel shroud. Uh, basically, the Webley flare gun is a flare gun with a buttstock on it, and with a little bit of a shroud cone. It's a shroud cone meant for launching various flares and other types of projectiles. Star Wars took that and they said, "Hey, let's make a blaster for the world's greatest bounty hunter." Right. So they did that. Uh, Princess Princess Leia, she uses in in Episode Four. She uses uh, there's actually two different pistols. It's hard to tell in the scenes, but one of them is a Walther air pistol. Uh, a, a lot a lot of those are a lot of those have been used. They've also been used in Episode One on Nambu, on, on Nambu, or on, on, on Nambu. Nambu rather. Sorry, and um, and she also uses a, a POA Luger pistol. So what's uh, what's interesting with that? Um, going on. Uh, sci-fi. Uh, I would like to talk about it. Um, I, I don't know how far you consider it sci-fi. Uh, the Matrix. Matrix. 
Matrix is definitely sci-fi. Okay. You're put into um, a sci-fi environment. Here. Again, mech suits. You know, in the third in the third movie, wasn't too crazy on the sequel right. movies, but well, it compares to everything else, moving faster and the speed of bullet and everything yep. else. But definitely, uh, definitely in the first movie, the 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 gun rack scene for one, you know, Neo calls, you know, I need guns, lots of guns, and the, and they just get transported into the Matrix, and and all you and all you see is just racks and racks upon weapons. I can't tell you how many times I've freeze frame that and try to identify every <laughs> Each single type thing. of weapon. Uh, what how ones have you identified? Definitely the coolest one that ends the scene is when he picks he picks up a, an MP5K and he does the classic what we call the uh, the HK slap. Right. Where he picks it up, loads the gun, and then he and then and then just to the, a real quick slap to the side, and it, and it makes the gun cocking noise. Not only is that real, but that's actually a proper usage of it because in order to load the weapon, magazine goes in. The charging handle left side of the gun gets pulled all the way back and locked into uh, twisted up and then locked into a, a locking position. You load the gun and then when you want to drop the drop the bolt the chamber the first round, you slap the charging handle and it makes that classic noise. So that's been so stuff like that's cool. Um, in the and then probably what I think is the most famous scene of the entire movie, which we, which is after the the gun uh, the gun wreck, is when they do the lobby shootout. Well, you right. know, the classic. He walk. You know, he goes through. On he, he goes through airports. Not not airport security, but he goes through security of the one building, and it just it just it, it just erupts into just a major gun battle. Um, some notable guns in there. Um, he uses a he uses a series of Breda ninety two pistols. Um, Trinity takes a spaz twelve shotgun from one of the from one of the soldiers and uses that against them. That's that 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 the spaz twelve has been used in many movies. It's used in term it's used in Terminator in the first one. Uh, it's used in Jurassic Park. You know, for one for one when the character gets attacked by the Velociraptor. You know, clever girl. That was a spaz twelve when it shows him unfolding the stock and moving the arm moving the arm clamp over to brace his arm. I've decided, Kevin, I'll bring you back on for either Gundam or okay. Robotech remake, whichever one of those come out first. And I think the Gundam is uh, was Netflix. They were talking about doing a lot. Uh, gotcha. Gundam anime or something like that. Give you a chance to watch some of this stuff beforehand. All right. And then we'll do a little bit of review on that and then go into powered suits and that kind of stuff on there. Gotcha. There's a lot of cool power there suits is. that we really um, didn't didn't cover that much in here probably one of and my I want to keep the, the timing down we'll keep it short uh, Power suits obviously Gundam from the anime world but from the sci-fi world what I think is sci-fi uh, Pacific Rim Pacific Rim which awesome. is just a Gundam in, in yeah. live action yeah, that, yeah definitely cool. awesome mech suit alright guys um, we're going to call it for this week uh, I want to thank you for listening next week episode may run a little bit different and maybe a little bit late like I said I'm going to Comic Con um, I'm going to have to edit all the audio that I do over there. I did, uh, my, my studio here is giving me a little remote, uh, microphone to take with me to, to use over there. That's why I love this studio here. Um, I do want to thank you guys for listening. Um, please like, share, uh, follow me on Facebook. Definitely the Instagram and Twitter is pretty much dead. Um, but it, it's still there. Um. You may see me post on there eventually if I ever figure either one of those out well enough. All right, guys. All right, take it easy. Bye. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you.